Well, you know, we've spent uh, a few years in the Old Testament. Uh, we've spent a few years in my unfamiliar territory of Hebrew uh, and realized how much I disliked Hebrew. <laughs> and, uh, and for the joy that was set before me, I entered into study in Greek again. And I found, oh, there's that lost love of mine. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, the Greek is so familiar and is so joyful. Well, after two years of looking through a lot of introspection, um, it is a joy to once again be in the New Testament and talking about all that we have in Christ, to talk about what we just celebrated this morning, what we sang together, what we proclaimed, and we enter into the book of Romans. Now, don't get real excited and ready to flip a few pages. We'll be lucky if we get past a few words this morning. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm going to do what I normally don't do, and that is we're going to have a three-parter just in verse 1. Now, I'm not going to be like John MacArthur and just preach on Paul this morning. <laughs> uh, when uh, first sermon out of Romans for John MacArthur was on Paul, and that was it. And uh, Lord willing, we'll get past Paul this morning. And uh, we'll talk about a little more uh, in depth. But I'm excited uh, to go through. But I'm not excited to uh, do what some people do is and they go for the moon. And they look down and you see this beautiful earth, but you miss all the things about the earth. Uh, And then there are some people that dive down and they mine so far down deep that you miss everything on the surface as well. So we're going to do a little bit of both. We're going to try to... Uh, survey the the land, full landscape of Romans and the study of God's gospel, the study of two cultures. And that's the thing that struck me as I've read through Romans and read through Romans and read through Romans. I see this commonality in this theme of two cultures. And you say, well, pastor, there are thousands of cultures all over the world. Yeah, those are subcultures. Uh, Those are subcultures. The reality is we are going to be coming face-to-face with two cultures, and it'll be very plain to see as we enter into Romans this morning. And that very wonderful title and picture of a slave of Christ Jesus. Uh, This morning, we want to look at the purpose, and we want to look at what Paul is saying in verse 1. And why is it important? And so that's kind of where we're headed, is is what is the purpose of Romans? Why did Paul call himself a bondservant, or in, uh, in the Greek, it's slave? Why did he call himself a slave of Christ Jesus? And so we're going to look at that intently. And how does that apply to us? What does that mean for us as a church body? What does that mean in your relationship with the Lord? And so, hold on, grab your seats, we're getting ready for a a grand adventure in the Lord. Let's ask God to bless it, shall we? Lord, there is so much of this that we, it's amazing how much we do not know. Lord, as we seek to know you, as we've been talking about in Sunday school, to know you, to know you more. Not to know you so that way we can just simply have knowledge, but to know you so that way we know about ourselves, our life. We know about the culture that you've called us to, to know about the culture that you've called us out of, to know who we truly are as a man or woman or child of God. Lord, help us, I pray, in this endeavor. This is amazing, and it's too wonderful, all the, the things that to, to even fathom what they really mean. And so, Lord, I just pray that your Spirit would go forth and teach us that which I am incapable of teaching. Lord, lead us to your truth. Help us to know you more. We thank you for this uh, very dear letter 
that you have given us to help us to, to know more about your good news and what you have called us to. So instruct us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 starts off and it says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, having been set apart for the gospel of God. That's where we get the title, God's Gospel. Um, If you go to verse 16, you'll see about that Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You're going to hear about that. He longs to proclaim the gospel. If you look all through chapter 1, you're going to see gospel, 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 gospel. This good news. And that really gives us to the purpose of Romans. Why was this letter penned to the church of Rome? And really, what does it have to do with us? If we look at verses 8 through 15, it really gives us a deep insight to the overview. In fact, dare I say, actually verse 1 gives us a full overview of Romans, but we see some more insight. And in verse 8, we see it says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith is proclaimed in all the world. The very first thing we see that Paul is encouraging the church that is there, encouraging them that he hear of their faith, that he's encouraging them that they're proclaiming their faith, that they know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's thanking God for them. And so there's this encouragement. And you're going to see this encouragement even as he says hard things to them all through the book. The other one we can see is in verse 10. As he says, always in my prayers, as he prays, he's praying for them, but he's saying, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So this other purpose of this letter was to remind them that Paul, even though he has been obstructed up to this point, he always has intended to go to Rome. He wants to, he desires to be with them, to proclaim and teach the gospel to them. He wants to be there. I don't know about you, but you like to get those letters, you know. I, I remember being in Israel and Anissa sending a box of letters to me, you know. I look forward to seeing you when you get back. And I was like, and I had, at those, at, she wrote that letter, you know, saying I look forward to seeing you. I still have those letters. They're in a box. My mom very wisely saved all of those letters that Anissa ever wrote me. Uh, through high school and college. But the, the, how, you know, she didn't know that I was coming home with a ring from Israel to give to her, to propose, right? I was just, oh, that letter, you know, and all the cookies that she baked in that box, you know, that were stale and crumbly because they'd been a month coming across the ocean. Because back in that day, they didn't go by airplane. <laughs> When I was in Israel, it took almost a month for me to get a package. It was a different day. We didn't even, email was just starting. It was like, I don't know, it was like $10, $20 an email to send an email. It was $60 a phone call for 15 minutes. I never called Aniso while I was in Israel. I called her parents (laughs) multiple times. So... He longed to be there. So he sent this letter ahead and say, I want to come to be with you, to share all the blessings that I have been given. He didn't have a ring to propose to them, but he had the gospel that he wanted to bring. He was bringing a much better package back to be with them. Verse 11 is very confusing But we'll get there and we'll talk about it later on down the road, months or I don't know, down the road. We'll get there. But he really, the idea is is he wants to help them grow in their faith. He's saying, look, I have this precious gift, this gift that I was talking about just a second ago, and I want to share it with you. I want to strengthen that faith that you have. And it's that being together, we will grow together in our faith. There's something very precious about sharing our life together in the gospel. 
That's the purpose of Romans, is to know the gospel so that way in faith we can share it together. And as we share it together, it helps us grow together. That's the idea of Romans. In verse 15, as we get down, I like verse 14. He says, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He wants to preach the gospel. He wants to complete what has started there to share the good news, to help them to understand the gospel. Praise the Lord, you received the gospel, but now let's unpack the fullness of what you have received. Don't just open up that gift and throw the wrapping paper away. No, 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 no. Let me share what is on all of what you just unwrapped and received, that gift of your salvation. There's something precious about the gospel that we take for granted for. And this is Romans. This is Romans. This is the purpose of Romans. In fact, so much so, listen how Paul describes his life. Who is Paul that would write this? The apostle, he says, a called as an apostle, a sent out one by Christ who spent some time with Christ, who's seen the resurrection, the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. In Philippians 3, verses 3 through 9, he writes about his life, who he used to be and who he became. In Philippians 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He said, this is who we are because of the gospel. We worship God now. We glorify Christ. We don't glorify our flesh anymore. Verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. If anyone thinks he's religious, guess what? I've got him beat, is what he's saying. If anybody thinks he's a good Jew, no, he can't compare to my Jewishness. (laughs) Right? He was the Jew of the Jews. He says in verse 5, he says, listen, he says, circumcised on the eighth day, which was commanded in the Jewish custom. It had to be on the eighth day to be a good Jew, right? And so he says, I, that was me. Of the people of Israel, that's me. Of the tribe of Benjamin, he knew his lineage. Not, not very many Jews did because they were carried off to Babylon and they lost most of those records, but he knew it. He had the record. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, as to the first five books of the Bible, I have kept them to the fullest letter of the law. I am the most religious of all Jews, is what he's saying. As a law, a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a law, a lawyer, right? He explained the law. He defended the law. He persecuted people with the law. He, he was a quintessential lawyer. (laughs) As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to living rightly, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, all those things that I had in life, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus My Lord. Something changed in Paul, didn't it? His once perfect Jewish life changed. There was this upheaval. He could speak the gospel to the Jews, couldn't he? He knew everything about the Jewish customs. Therefore, as in this book that was written for us, But uh, through the Holy Spirit that God gave us Romans, as we look at Paul, he knew everything of a Jew. But did you know that he was also a fully Roman-born citizen? He could speak to the Greek culture. He grew up in the Greek culture. Paul could speak as a Jew, but not only that, he could speak as a Gentile. 
because of his Roman citizenship. He knew both cultures. He knew how to present the gospel to both. He knew what both cultures needed. See, there's this two-culture thing again. You're going to see two cultures all through Romans. Notice Paul's background. Paul was a rigid, fanatical, nationalistic Jew. He hated the Lord Jesus Christ and everything connected to Christ. He regarded Christ as a blasphemer. As a young man, Paul was known as Saul. His name was Saul, not Paul. He he tried to destroy everything Christian. Anybody who followed the name of Christ, Acts chapter 2, verse 3, we get this background. In fact, it says, still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he obtained permission from the high priest to go to Damascus to order to order to exterminate the church there. Acts chapter 9, we see on the road to Damascus, Paul came face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was converted to Christ. In a sense, he had a new master. As we look at verse 1, it says, Paul, a bondservant, or actually in the Greek, it's slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the road to Damascus, he realized he had two masters. He had an old master, and now he had a new master. This verse 1, in chapter 1 and verse 1, we see this envelope. It's like the envelope. It's like Paul is addressing. This is who is sending the letter, and this is the return address of the letter. But this envelope in which Paul is giving us is not just containing great theology of who God is and what God has done for us, but the envelope itself is immensely amazing in who God is. It's very interesting that he would say the things that he did because in our society, as we look at this word, uh, doulos, it's the word for slave. It never meant anything else other than the lowest of slaves. Not a servant who could purchase their freedom, but a slave who was owned. No freedom. It means a slave. Paul presents himself here. Paul Not an apostle, not a religious lawyer, not a good man, but a slave. He used nothing about who he was as a man, but who he was as a slave. He describes himself here as a slave. He says, hey, do you want to know who I am? This is who's sending the letter to you. This is... Who I am, I am Paul, a slave. If people asked you, if somebody would say, come up and say, okay, give me one word to describe who you are, how would they describe you? I, for me, pig farmer. <laughs> right? Uh, crazy man. Uh, injury, injury prone. Um, <laughs> We can name a lot of different things, right? But here we have Paul is saying on the envelope from the very beginning, I am Paul and I am a slave. Do you think that could ring true to many people in Rome? I mean, think about it. The majority of Rome was built on slavery. Think about it. A slave. What is a slave, by the way? What does doulos really mean? It means someone that is devoted to another. Somebody that's owned, and because they are owned, all their devotion is to that person because they are owned. So they're devoted to another. But it means even more than that. It means this. It means a disregard of one's own interests. That's really what doulos means. It doesn't mean... So when the idea behind bond servant, it actually means to be in chains 
to another person. Bond servant. It doesn't mean just, it doesn't mean servant. It's emphasized bonds. It's funny because in Acts 27-23, right, um, in things are happening in the church and <laughs> and he's talking about all the things, but he says, For this very night there stood before me an angel of God. And listen, he says this, To whom I belong, to whom I worship. He's saying, Whom I'm devoted to, that I belong to, and whom I disregard my own interests, and I proclaim their interest. I worship them. That's the idea here behind the servant. I want you to stop and I want you to think here a moment. Who are we? Would slave come to mind? Somebody says, so what church are you? Would it be like slave? (laughs) Right? Let's change our name to the Ferndale Slave Church. How would that go? In our common, in our, in our current climate, hey, we, we, at least we'd have a lot of publicity, wouldn't we? <laughs> we wouldn't have to really work hard to promote our website or Facebook page. I think we would get a lot of publicity. But Paul is saying and making a huge statement here. Do you realize the reality is as we get into the meat and potatoes of this statement when Paul says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. A slave of Christ Jesus. What does this mean? As being one that's devoted to another, being devoted to Christ, who has no self-interest, but solely interest in the one who owns me. What does that really mean? Well, it means this. Do you realize everyone is a slave. You are a slave. You say, wait a minute. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. The question is not whether you are a slave, it's who are you a slave to? In Romans chapter 6, verse 16, it tells us, again, this two-culture thing. It really emphasizes the importance of God's gospel. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16 gives us some really huge insight of this idea of slavery. Verse 16 says this question, Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves, same word, doulos here, as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Now, if you read all of chapter 6, you get the whole context. And dealing that we either are a slave to the sin that is in this world, or we are a slave to the one who gives us righteousness, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that right now you could be a slave to sin? That's why we are doing communion. Not that communion takes away your sin, but the fact is, is that we need to realize the depths and depravity of our life and realize we need to run to Christ every day. We need the forgiveness of our sin. Do you realize that saying? Do you not know that whatever you present your body, yourself to, you're presenting it as a slave? If you, whatever you are presenting your life as obedient, that you have to follow this thing. Now realize that this thing is not sinful. It's when you present your body to obey it that makes it sinful. Step on some toes. Right? I like to do that. <laughs> I was doing it in Sunday school. Right? So wear steel-toed boots <laughs> when you come to church. Right? So I'll just pick on me. Football. Right? Most of you realize, well, now, how about pig farming, right? Uh, how about, um, you know, if, there for a while, sports was my God in high school. Sports is not bad, but I obeyed everything 
to sports. Even caught up with me in, in college when I was in Bible college to become a pastor and I was given the opportunity to play for the, the college team. And they were like, you could get it if you do well, you, could, you can earn a scholarship because I was helping rehabilitate my roommate who played for the team. And the coach said, you, you can play. And I was like, yeah. So I started practicing and I was like, ooh, this is fun. I can earn scholarship. And so I started to, you know, say, oh, look at all the things that this could do for me. All of a sudden, all my grades just went. I, stu- I was, you know, a pastor at the local church. I was like, hey, you know, I've noticed you've been really busy lately. Where have you been? You know, I stopped discipling young people that I was discipling. All of a sudden, everything just, and I sat there, and he had, was talking to me. He was like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, this crashing weight came down. I was like, oh, I am serving an idol again that I said I would never do. And I went to the coach and I said, I, I cannot play, I cannot play sports. Anissa really realized how much I had stopped serving sports when I sat myself down on the, when I was playing church softball league and I sat and I said, hey, you know, you should go out and play. And I sat on the bench. <laughs> for those of you that live for sports, you understand that you just don't do that. Because you sit there and say, you know what, I, they, they just, they can't, I can do, I, they can't do it, I can do it. Right? They're not athletic, right? I can, I, I, oh, I had to sit there and go, sit on the bench and say, you know what, they are, worth, spending time with these guys are more important than me playing. Oh, that was so hard. How about music? <laughs> How about your job? How about good grades, right? How about, I don't know, you can just fill in the blank. Everyone is a slave. Do you realize this? Slavery is, it is despicable. From a human perspective, when we think about slavery, it is the most horrific thing known to man. When we think of slavery from a human perspective, somebody owning somebody, it is horrific but when we think about Paul's statement here, when he says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, we realize that being a slave of God on the other side, the other culture, is the highest title that we should ever, ever enjoy. Because God is perfect. He is the provider of all things. He's not, when we think of slave, we always think of what we see, how it has been destroyed from a human perspective. Because we are controlled by our sinful desires. Leads us to the second thing is that a slave doesn't own himself. Paul, when he says, Paul, a slave of Christ, he's saying, it's not about me. It's not my life. This is, I am a slave of Christ. As I write this letter to you, this letter has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Christ. When we think about Romans, when we think about the gospel, it has nothing to do about me. It has everything to do about God. If we get anything right about the gospel, it has everything about God. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's pretty amazing. Do you know a, a bond servant, a real bond servant in the Roman era, in the Roman period when this was written, not a slave, but a bond servant, was hired by a master, was hired to do a job, who paid him a wage for the services rendered. Bond servant. They were paid for their service. That was what a real kind of bond servant did. But a slave was owned. Was, you know, there was a price paid for them. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20, Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, Look, stop selling yourself sexually and immorally to others because don't you realize who you belong to? Verse 18, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immorality 
person, um, the sexual immoral person sins against his own body, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You have been bought. See the language there? That's slave language. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, or actually in the Greek, it's as you carry your body in life. <laughs> as you carry yourself through life. You've been bought. We are not, we don't own ourselves. We have this problem in our life is that we get saved and we think as we go in life, we say, well, now I'm saved. Now I can go do whatever I want. No, 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 no. You have been unchained from your sin being owned by sin, enslaved to sin, you've been unchanged and you've been bought, you've been purchased out of the slavery of sin and been now brought into the master's house of God, your Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he owns you. But the difference is, is he owns you to set you free. But he doesn't just set you free to yourself, he still owns you. We miss that so many times. It brings us to the third thing, is that a slave serves at the pleasure of their master. And that's a, real, that's a hard question. Do you serve at the pleasure of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what Paul was saying when he says, Paul, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. Slaves serve at the pleasure of their master. It's a, in Luke 17, it's, it's kind of hard to understand sometimes, but Luke 17, 7 through 10 says, Will any one of you who have a servant plowing or keeping sheep, or we can, for me, I just put pig in there. So <laughs> keeping pigs, say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline. Oh, you, you fed my animals. Now come in, sit in the recliner. That's, what, that's typically what I do. If you're at my house, you know, I, I feed the animals. The first thing I do is I come in, I wash my hands, and I go sit at the recliner. <laughs> it's like, oh, I've done feeding the animals. <laughs> but if you have a servant that's doing this, come in. The master would say, come in and recline at the table. Will he not rather, would not the master rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterwards, you can eat the scraps. That's what a lot of the servants and slaves did. Whatever the master didn't eat, they would take it, they would re-prepare it, and they would, they would eat it. Wouldn't he rather do that? Verse 9, does he think that the servant, because he did, does he think the servant, thank the servant because he did what was commanded. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Jesus' lesson is this. This is what he's saying. If God commanded us to do something and we don't do it, we're in trouble. So here's the thing. If we do do what God's commanded, that's not an occasion for us to boast, <laughs> to say, hey, look what I did. It's like, no, 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 you actually did what God said to do, so why are you boasting about it? It's only natural that we would do what the master says, for we have done exactly what's expected of us, so why are we boasting about it? Let me say it another way. Let me step on some more toes. It says this. There is no way that we can save up merits. You know, you remember back in the day when I was in high school, we had merit system. The more merits, the more privileges we got. The more demerits, the more trouble we got at the end of the day or had to stay behind, you know, detention, some of you guys. You know what I'm talking about. Well, some of you may not, but I know what I'm talking about because I ended up there because <laughs> I like to talk, right? I was preparing to be a pastor. So, <laughs> but I learned really quickly that I could do a lot of good things and earn the favor, and I learned lots of merits, and the more merits I earned, I could get away with a lot. 
I figured that out. But here's the thing. God is saying this. There's no way that we can save up enough merits for ourselves. There is nothing more demeaning to God or damaging to our relationship to God than this teaching that emerged out of the Middle Ages. And this was the idea that gaining of great merit by doing good works that the church defined as being a little bit more than the call of duty. If you do just a little bit more than is expected, you earn this good merits. And the more good merits you earn, the better standing you are with God. That is horrible. It, has, it flies in the face of who God is. Guys, we don't sit there and earn good merits to have a good relationship with God. We obey God. And then God, as a good and right master, blesses us. It's different. It's opposite. Here's the the crux of all of those three put together. Slaves don't decide their life. Slaves don't decide their life. Ephesians talks about this, that as we look at being a slave to our the workers in as being a an owner as a uh, and as hiring somebody as a servant or owning somebody as a slave in verse 5 of chapter 6 says bond servants actually the same word as slave slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ we're supposed to look at Christ and say I am serving my masters because I am serving Christ. It says, verse 6, Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as a slave of Christ. We're supposed to view ourselves as a slave to Christ. And we're not supposed to think. So here's the deal. When we think only about this culture we live in right now, and we say, man, I am a slave to government. And we sit there and we complain and complain and complain that I'm a slave to this government. I can't stand it. And we focus so much on that. We begin to lose that identity that we're actually a slave to Christ. We need to view everything as a slave to Christ first. And that's how we deal with everything that we have right now in the culture we find ourselves. A slave doesn't decide their life. Romans chapter 16, at the very end, Paul bookends this idea of slavery to the Lord, being a slave to Christ. I appeal to you there, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the teaching or to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve, there we go again, serve the Lord Christ, but they serve their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And then he says about the Roman church, for your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace shall The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As he ends this, he doesn't want the heart appetite to be drawn away by by flattery, smooth, flattering, earthly masters. He doesn't want us to be drawn away into idol worship. He wants us to remember that first and foremost, that we are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what's amazing is, I want you to think about, have you ever read James chapter 1, verse 1? <laughs> what does verse 1 say? Did you hear that? Say it louder. Because he said it right. Say it again, really loud. 
Okay, stop there. <laughs> James, the servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you know who James is? The brother, stepbrother of Jesus. And if you don't know why he's a stepbrother, we'll talk about the theological applications of that later. <laughs> but here's the thing. The stepbrother of Jesus. How many of you are siblings out there? Have you ever, everybody had a perfect sibling that annoys you to no end? My sister, she goes, I just hate it. And I'm like, what? She's like, I just can't stand you. My sister's 10 years younger than me. And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, you always look perfect. And I'm like, then you don't know me. <laughs> it's like, you didn't see me when I, and I won't tell you all the things I did, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, and I won't give ammo to Kedrick. <laughs> but here's the thing. I was, I was sinful, but you know what I mean. There's conflict and there's sibling, sibling. There's sibling rivalry, right? I can't say sibling and rivalry together. That's sibling, <laughs> uncivil. Um, there's this sibling rivalry. Did you know that actually earlier in the book of Acts, James is ridiculing Jesus? He actually is not a believer. Doesn't believe in Christ. Doesn't believe that Jesus is Christ. Doesn't see him as God. But did you see what he gives us? He becomes, James ends up becoming the leader of the church in Jerusalem. You see what he called himself? James, the servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or it's actually the Lord Christ Jesus. But here's the thing. James changed. Now he knows who God is. And no longer is he ridiculing. He's saying, I am a slave to Christ. How many of you would like to say, I'm a slave to my brother or sister? You say, well, that's what I feel like. <laughs> right? But that's not what he... He's saying, no, 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 I'm a slave to Christ. Paul here is saying, Paul, a slave of Christ, Jesus. There's a reason he put Christ there. Because he was referring to the Godhead, to the deity, to Jesus as God. He's saying, I'm not a slave to man. I'm not a slave to this. I'm a slave to God. Because God is righteous. God is holy. God is a good judge. He knows how to judge me correctly. He knows my heart. He knows the intent of my heart. Even when I don't know how to speak the right intent, he knows that. He can intercede for me. He is God. James, Paul are saying, look, I am not a slave to just anybody. I'm a slave to God. This is two realities. We have to have the right master. In order to have a right relationship with God, in order to have a right gospel in your life, to have the right good news, you have to have the right master. Paul, a slave of Christ, not a slave to any man. That's what he said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. This might be familiar to some of you. It says, For I am not seeking the approval of man or of God. Who do I seek approval from, he says. Or am I trying to please man? Question mark. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. Your translation may say servant, but in the Greek it is actually slave. It doesn't mean servant, it means slave. This world has two cultures, two masters. You either will surrender to Satan and his schemes, sinful desires, or you will surrender your life to Christ. Who are you going to serve? You will serve whoever is that master. You do not want to serve sin. The Bible says, 
We just talked about that in Ecclesiastes, right? That's what Solomon did, and it brought him nothing but shame and misery. That's why he wrote in Proverbs chapter 12, it says, there's a way that seems right unto man, but in the end it leads to death and destruction. We must surrender before there can be service. Maybe you're struggling in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you're struggling in knowing God and enjoying your relationship with God. Maybe going to church is drudgery. Maybe going, maybe going to church is hard. Maybe reading the Bible is hard. Well, the Bible could be hard for a lot of reasons. It's filled with things you don't know, Right? But that's what the Holy Spirit's for, and that's what church is for, and that's what Bible studies are for, and that's what the church family is for. But some of you are dragging chains of slavery of this world with you to church. It's no wonder it's difficult. It's no wonder you don't enjoy the church family, because you're dragging with you being chained to this world, because you go back to slavery, to sin. Proverbs chapter 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all. All means all, and that's all that all can mean. It's one of the only Hebrew words that I can relate to (laughs) or understand. Do you acknowledge God as your Lord? It's interesting, in Titus chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, it says, Slaves, or bondservants, slaves are to be submissive, that's surrender, to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior. Jesus said this in John 12, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. That same idea of follow me is lay down your life or surrender to me. And where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is very, very precious how Paul is describing himself as a slave in the employment of his master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul recognized that his life was no longer his own. He now belonged to Christ, the one that bought him, the one that saved him, the one that purchased peace for him, the one that brought comfort for our souls. Paul gave himself entirely to the cause of Christ as he saw Christ is his master. And he says, this is why he says, I am Paul, a slave. I am Paul, a slave. I'm a slave to the good news of God. For the rest of his life, he was devoted to the preaching and teaching of the gospel. Where are you? Are you devoted to your life in the service of your master, the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're not, it's not too late. Surrender to him. That's what it means to be saved, to, to surrender your life before, for what he has done for you. And say, I am a sinner. I am unholy. I, am, I can't earn any merits. There's none, nothing in me that's righteous. I don't even seek God. But God sought me when he died on the cross for my sins and purchased our redemption, our salvation. And he rose again and he conquered death to provide us peace through his act. And he says, I'm calling you. Will you respond? Will you surrender your life? to the service of your master. Maybe you've forgotten that. It's not too late. Enjoy your master. There is nothing that he is unwilling to provide 
for the ones that he would now call sons and daughters. And even if you read in chapter 12, you keep reading in John chapter 12, he dare call you friend. You see, what earthly master would do that? I don't know many, unless you may work at Perry Pallet. <laughs> and trust me, they're not perfect. I mean, talk to Timber for a while and you'll know. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> he's, he's, he's down taking care of his kids, so I took a pot shot at him. I'll pay dearly for it later. But <laughs> here's the thing. Who do you serve? Be honest and run to the, the arms of your master, the Lord Jesus Christ, and let him love, forgive, give you the blessings of his life to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this message, the depths of what this statement really means. May we realize with great joy and anticipation what the gospel brings to our life, what it means in the culture of your culture, and that everything in the world fits under the culture of this world. There are many subcultures, but they all fit under the culture of sin, the culture of this world. Lord, I pray that we would not be fearful of you as our master, as we, that we would actually not be scared to run to you, but that we would see you as the perfect father, that we'd be scared or tremble or have a fear of letting you down, not obeying you, not following you. May we be in fear of your immense power and say you are worthy and worship you out of that fear. May we see ourselves truly as we are and fall in love with you all the more because of how much you still love us and forgive us. Thank you for your words of wisdom this morning. May you continue to teach us this week and call us to yourself as the perfect master. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.